listening to CITR.
Pink Floyd starting off this edition of Stereoscopic Readout, your source for psychedelia, garage rock, freak beat, acid punk, prog rock, and other socially and musically relevant artifacts from 1965 to today with me, your host, Darren, on this Thursday afternoon uh, on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio. And that's going to be this, uh, the tone of the first part of the show today is kind of a belated tribute to the work of Richard Wright, the recently passed keyboardist from Pink Floyd. Um, Richard William Wright, born 28th of July, 1943, died on Monday, 15th of September of this year from an undisclosed form of cancer, which he had a very short and obviously... Uh, fatal battle with Richard Wright um, he was a founding member of Pink Floyd he met Roger Waters who was the bass player and Nick Mason the drummer at Regent Street Polytechnic College of Architecture in 1965 formed the Pink Floyd with them um, after sort of going around as the previous incarnations as the very, well, it was either the Abdabs, the Screaming Abdabs, or the Architectural Abdabs. But, uh, yeah, very, uh, it was very sad to hear that. It was quite a shocker for me. Um, I didn't end up being quite as bummed out as I was back in 2006 when Sid Barrett died. But, well, at, at the risk of getting overly sentimental, we're going to listen to a few, a few of his compositions for Pink Floyd and some of the ones on which he... I think his talent's really shone. Starting with this one. What is this one I'm going to play? What am I doing? Yeah. This is the song Paintbox, B-side to Pink Floyd's third single, Apples and Oranges, released in late in 1967. And, yeah, it was. I think it was the first of his solo compositions to be recorded and released by the band.
someone speaks She would very much like to go Out to a show So what can I do? I can't think what to say
Brief tribute, I mean, obviously too brief, to really, you know, encompass the career, the musical career of Richard Wright. Um, but that is a, that's a taster of really why I sort of got into Pink Floyd in the first place. Uh, those, you know, those, those songs and many others. But uh, from the beginning of the show, we started off with Pow, uh, I, I, I always called it how our talk H. Uh, if I'm not entirely sure exactly what the significance of that is, but what it is, the title um, is British Army phonetic alphabet from around the First World War period. Um, if you're familiar with the phonetic alphabet around nowadays, like the Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, etc., etc., this predated it. Um, and talk H should be familiar to people who are familiar with the British Armed Forces during that period of World War I, uh, was the signaler's code for Talbot House, which was a privately run um, kind of benevolent society run by, I can't remember who exactly started it, but it was a benevolent society started by the Church of England or somebody associated with the Church of England to provide you know, like tea services and certain uh, home comforts to soldiers around the um, the Western Front. 
other than that, I can't really tell you what that means. But uh, it, that is a, uh, a track from their first album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, attributed to all four members, Wright, Mason, Barrett, and Waters. Followed that with Paintbox, the Richard Wright solo-penned song, which was the B-side to Apples and Oranges. Remember a Day and Seesaw followed also Rick Wright compositions from Pink Floyd's second album, Saucer Full of Secrets. And then the final song you just heard was Matilda Mother, which is a Barrett composition, but I think, well, in my opinion, in better than any other song on their first album, illustrates why, um, you know, Richard Wright was such a compelling keyboard player. Um his style was just not like anything else out there at the time. Um, if you look, I mean, looking at other notable keyboard players of the era, uh, whether it be like Ray Manzarek or Pigpen or whoever, that that in and of itself was why I sort of really started paying attention to early Pink Floyd. It was just that that compelling, unearthly sort of Farfisa sound. Uh, yeah, Richard Wright, sadly taken from us uh, Monday, September the 15th, uh, age 65. And uh, after a couple of promos and ads, we are going to, or sorry, public service announcements, we are going to continue with some local product. Old or New Testament? I think the New Testament. The question is, Pilot, you remember Pilot from the New Testament? What does Pilot? He fiddled well. Yeah, no, well, just a minute. Let me ask the question, then you can give me the answer, okay? Did Pilot want Jesus to be crucified? Yep, uh, uh, Pontius Pilate washed his hands of it. So did he want him to be crucified? Yeah. No. 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 Well, find a good church. It'll help you. Meet the Filmmakers, 29th of September to the 10th of October, 2008. In its 14th year at the Vancouver International Film Festival, Meet the Filmmakers is about the realization of ideas and the revelation of process. These informal and insightful panel discussions with filmmakers attending the festival provide a rare opportunity for the festival audience to engage in meaningful dialogue with the creative visionaries of modern cinema. Salons are free. Just bring your love of film and prepare to be inspired. In conjunction with the Vancouver International Film Festival, Meet the Filmmakers is made possible by the collective efforts of Sinworks Independent Filmmaker Society, Documentaries Organization of Canada BC Chapter, Praxis Centre for Screenwriters, and all of our fabulous volunteers. Detailed information about the salons can be found at www.sinworks.ca.
Thank. Thank you. Hello. Uh, first number entitled. Am I? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Good God, I turned the volume down on the headphones. I thought I was going deaf there for a second. The mic wasn't on. Uh, you are back with Stereoscopic Readout uh, on 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio. And that was Vancouver's own Mock Duck recorded live on the night of 19th and 20th October 1968 at the Village Bistro. A track entitled Homemade Jam. That lineup, because there were several of them, was Joe Mock on guitar. Uh, that being an instrumental, Joe Mock would sing on several other tracks. Rick Enns on bass, who also sang on a few tracks. Uh, Ross Barrett, in that case, on saxophone, but he also did play flute and keyboards, and Glenn Hendrickson on drums. Uh, both Hendrickson and Enns would moonlight with other bands as well, um, both of them playing in the United Empire Loyalists and Glenn Hendrickson also playing with Black Snake Blues Band. Rick Enns also would play or started off his career um, in a big in a big way with the uh, Tom Northcott Trio, even going so far as to play a month-long residency at The Matrix down in San Francisco, The Matrix being the club that the Jefferson Airplane owned. Um, for about a month in 1966 with the Tom Northcott trio, but however, he was jettisoned when the Tom Northcott or Tom Northcott signed as a solo artist with Warner Records. So coming up to 20 minutes to seven, um, <clears throat> busy night here at the stations, all kinds of people I haven't seen in a while milling about because there's a DJ meeting, which I'm missing out on right now, but I'll be there for the uh, free beer afterwards. And in the meantime, without any evidence to the contrary, I'm pretty sure Bleak will be in at 7.30 to do Exquisite Corpse. And odds are pretty good that Ben is also going to be in at 9 to do Thunderbird Radio Hell. But you've got me for the next 45 minutes and change. So I'm going to do a feature right now, which I've been sort of thinking about doing for a while. And it's one of these things where you realize, you you acquire a, a, a collection of music and you realize, especially with the music that was around in the mid to late 60s, certain sub-genres which occurred under the psychedelic label or psychedelic sort of umbrella. One of which being this, ret this penchant for, on both sides of the Atlantic, for things from the early part of the 20th century. And in the United States, it was referred to as Edwardiana, mainly because from where things started, like from when the psych movement started in San Francisco, I'm not saying that the psych movement itself started in San Francisco, but when the psychedelic movement of San Francisco began, um, it was sort of Influenced by a band called, which whom, whom I played several times, called the Charlatans. Uh, they had done in the summer of 1965. They had done a residency at the Red Dog, sorry, the Red Dog Saloon in Carson City, Nevada. Carson City at that time was sort of a, um, how do you put it? It was 
that part of Carson City was sort of a Wild West frontier town sort of tourist destination, and the Red Red Dog Saloon was part of it. However, the um, the owner or the guy who ran the Red Dog was a bit eccentric and introduced uh, the band to the joys of going off into the desert on acid and shooting things with shotguns. Uh, when they returned, they had incorporated uh, this kind of music hall, vaudeville, Edwardian, Edwardian sort of vaudeville sound and into their, into their live set. And they'd started dressing the part, you know, as uh, Edwardian dandies, Wild West outlaws, that sort of thing. That caught on in San Francisco and very soon caught on by 1967 across the country. Um, over in England, probably, I don't know where this similar penchant for things from uh, pre-World War One came from, but, and I don't know who really would have uh, started the ball rolling, although my best guess would have been the kinks. Uh, there was also this kind of resurgence in interest in music hall which is related to uh, in america it was what we called va- or what the americans called vaudeville the british referred to as music hall which was popular into the 20s but it was really big before and during world war one and they caught on to the dress aspect as well although slightly differently um band leaders outfits became popular military style jackets from the victorian period or uh, reasonably made facsimiles thereof became very popular um obviously the the most uh well-known example of this being the beatles on the cover of sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band um there was also the famous carnaby street boutique granny takes a trip where one could buy vintage clothing that would fit in with the uh fashion of the times or new sort of bits of gear that you could get but i'm kind of digressing Anyway, this is going to be a set of music from the UK and the USA, influenced by the vaudeville and music hall idioms. And we're going to start it off with the band that pretty much started it all, the Charlatans. I don't know. 
they make it very clear they've got no room for ravers. <laughs>
a an interrupted version of the Kinks Dead End Street there for you on Stereoscopic Redoubt 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver. Darren at the helm. Uh, yeah. Dead End Street released as a single in November of 1966 by the Kinks, part of this look at the music hall slash vaudeville idiom uh, promulgated by many bands on both sides of the Atlantic during the mid to late 60s. Uh, looks like CD Player 2 is about to pack it in. So if I can make an early appeal for the uh, funding drive, which we know is coming up, well, in the very near future, um, that's where you're... That's where your donations go to, is buying new equipment, because God knows the CD players play constantly for something like 18 hours a day or whatever it is. But uh, that's that's enough shilling for me, because it's not time for the funding drive yet, although I'm pretty sure you'll be hearing about that when it happens. Started that set off with The Charlatans and Sweet Sue, just you, an original compos- composition, but in the... Uh, Sort of country and western slash vaudeville uh, style. Uh, after that, you heard a band called Kippington Lodge from Great Britain. Signed to EMI, one of those bands that got kind of swept up by EMI during the whole psych craze of 1967, trying to cash in on the popularity of, uh, or the success they'd had with... Um, Sergeant Peppers, but uh, Kippington Lodge didn't really last very long, although it did introduce the world to the songwriting talents of one Nick Lowe, who came to prominence more in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, that track was called Rumors. After that, Rainy Days. Let's see if I can find any information on them. But Rainy Days with uh, a PN2 after tequila what was uh, what at the time was mexico's most popular export uh let's see this five-piece pop punk psych outfit comprised of bob heckendorf kip gilbert mac ferris sam fuller and tim gilbert were from denver colorado oh that's interesting denver wonder if they were in on the relocation of the family dog promotions to Denver, Colorado in 1967. We shall see. But yeah, rainy days with that Acapulco gold. Follow them with Lemon Tree, also from the UK. And it's so nice to come home. Uh, small faces wedged in there with Lazy Sunday. Um, and that's kind of a song indicative of the, one of the reasons why Steve Marriott left the band. Although, ironically, he was the one writing most of that sort of material but uh, Steve Marriott left the band for two reasons. One is that he wanted to go in a heavier direction, which he was trying to bring into um, Small Faces while he was there. Sort of, um, how do you put it? Things like songs, songs like uh, Me, You, and Us Two, Afterglow, Universal, not Universal, Son of a Baker. Indicative of a heavier direction he wanted to take Small Faces into, uh, which he ended up doing once he formed Humble Pie after leaving the Faces. But at the same time, he also thought that they were getting pigeonholed into this music hall genre that he didn't really want to get into, which I said was quite ironic because he was the one who wrote Lazy Sunday and some of the other songs, which kind of indicated that that was the direction they were going into. 
But, um, yeah, he would leave Small Faces late in 1968 and go off and form Humble Pie. Uh, the rest of the Small Faces. Ronnie Lane. Oh, damn it. What are they? Ron, Ronnie Lane, Ian McLagan, and Kenny Jones would end up joining forces with Rod Stewart and Ron Wood and just shorten the name to The Faces. Ron Wood and... Rod Stewart being significantly taller than the other three guys in the band. Where are we at? So, uh, we have 20 minutes left in the show. I'm going to... I'm going to play something I haven't played. Well, i played it quite a few times, but uh, local current Psych Popsters, The Green Hour, will be opening for uh, Montreal's High Tiles on October the 9th. I think it's October the 9th. Thursday, October the 9th, at the Bourbon. Um, myself and my colleague, Jen Smythe, otherwise known as West Coast Sonic Lantern Co., will be doing the lights for that show. So if you want to see what a psychedelic light show is all about, do come by. Or if you can't wait, um, you will see some pink and lime green posters advertising a Green Hour gig for Bohemian's Club. Um, next Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 20th, um, at a location to be disclosed on the day of the show. So, uh, if you see one of those posters, there's one up in Dandelion, there's one up in Budgie's Burritos, check it out, there's an info line, they'll be playing next Saturday, the 20th, so call that info line, don't call here, I don't know where the place is yet. Uh, in the meantime, this is the Green Hour.
some folk lords for you there in the line. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Take that off. Continuous play. That would be a good idea. Uh, some folk lords with, pardon me, Judas there. Um, in the dying minutes of today's show, started that with the Green Hour Band. Local heroes, well, local psych pop something something that should start with a P Paragons I've used that on the poster for the high dials but I used it for the high dials um a let's start that again local psych popsters the green hour there we go from their debut self-titled CD intro and yesterday's tomorrow followed that with the plastic cloud from somewhere in Ontario the information in the CD re-release doesn't indicate where and Art's a happy man and the folklords also from somewhere back east I have no idea where because both uh, releases on Pacemaker um, were unable to come up with exactly the requisite amount of information you expect from such a professional production uh pardon me judas is that track they actually actually saw a copy of that pop up at dandelion records uh, an original pressing i didn't dare look to see how much it was but there you go and that's uh we are into well the clock on the wall says we have seven minutes left so i'm gonna fancy my chances and try and fit two songs in but that's pretty much it for the show today uh you can download a podcast of this show if you go to www.citr.ca, there's a very obvious podcast link. You go down, look for the Indie Eclectic menu, and I'm in there, uh, along with many other fine shows. Check out Luke Meat. Uh, he does a noise. Download the podcast he did for Wednesday's show. That is a full hour and a half, two hours of Rick Wright uh, tribute for you there and also check out um check out rumble tone radio go go i hope that frank uploaded a podcast of his show yesterday because he was playing some really good stuff on there and leading us out for today is going to be some bent wind i haven't played bent wind in a while maybe follow up with some it's all meat but we'll see how much time we have bye for now (laughs) 